Welcome to Rainbow Soul, an explorative discussion about spirituality beyond mainstream religions. Hollis Taylor, author, psychic, astrologer, and alchemical mage, brings their non-binary perspective together with fellow drag king and trans man, Lacrosse Ortiz, a Jewish Taino with spiritual background of exploration that has led him to an atheist perspective. Join these guys as they explore deep and difficult topics, all related to spirituality, offering a queer perspective, an exploration of interesting topics, and engaging guests to help explore conversations for the rainbow soul. Support Rainbow Soul. Check out the Rainbow Soul merchandise for your favorite new shirt. A variety of colors and styles to suit your taste. Show off your love for Rainbow Soul. Get cool designs with your favorite quotes. Designs come in a variety of colors so that you can express your most authentic self. Support Rainbow Soul in spreading the word that queer, gender variant, intersex, transgender is sacred. Rainbow Soul, putting the soul back into queer. Order your unique Rainbow Soul merchandise at rainbowsoul.show. Welcome. Welcome, everyone. Glad to hear. Thanks for watching Rainbow Soul. And I'm Hollis Taylor. I am an author, a witch, a psychic, um, a medium, and I help host the show. And uh i i'm the author of divine androgen (laughs) it's a sacred path for gender variant people so please check it out and take a moment it's all about defining your own path and um overcoming things like trauma and shit like that so i'm glad you're here in the show and lacrosse how about you tell us about who you are hi i'm lacrosse ortiz i am a trans man i am a jewish atheist taino uh, jack of all trades and master of none, uh, <clears throat> and an avid learner. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I do. <laughs> well, hey, learning is, is I think that's a lifelong journey. Yeah. That's what my father always believed in. We made an effort to learn every day, learn something every day. Yeah. Um, today, <laughs> today I learned how to bur- how to pull a worm from a dung pile. Um, really? <laughs> yeah, really. I was doing Burma composting all day. Um, not all day, but for several hours, you know, handling compost. And I even got my fingernails clean, pulling <laughs> worms out of there um, to move them into a new home. Oh, wow. I, I've been working with worms uh, that eat your comp- your vegetable trash for a long time. I used to teach schools how to do it. Um, and it's, it's actually kind of a cool thing. You can have it in your kitchen 
and you know you just put food scraps in there and then you you depends on what kind of you could do like a homemade type of home or you can buy a special little thing and the worms will eat your vegetable compost trash and give you black gold in return and you can use that black gold in your garden and i assure you things will grow and oh. you will not have so many problems uh less bugs right. and better soil um and it's sustainable and um helps the environment so right. yeah so i've been doing it for a long time and so today as i was pulling the worms out you know the worm would stretch and stretch i'm like dude you really want to come with me <laughs> don't want to stay in there because you're gonna die man and you know uh just kept making me thinking of bright hawk's story uh bright hawk tells the story all the time it's actually a, a buddhist monk story about you can't pull a worm from a dung pile. So I won't try to tell the story because it's a very good story. But uh, yeah, so <laughs> so all day long as I tried to pull the worm from the dung piles, like, remember, you can't pull the, the worm from the dung pile. So just throw the whole dung pile in the worm bin. So, <laughs> so and pulling the black gold away from it, add that to my garden uh, for the fall. So that's what I pretty much did all day and learning about more about worms and the new, I'm putting them in a new system that I haven't used before. So welcome, Joseph. I'm glad you're here. Welcome. Hey, welcome. I'm, I'm trying to read what he's saying there. Uh, oh, I am the Jojo with a Filipino and Jewish Russian background. Okay. Interesting. But is a Buddhist. Can't blame me there. I'm kind of right. Buddhist myself. I'm currently the vice president of the NAACP Lebanon County branch, and I'm leading the standing committee known as the LGBTQIAQ plus fierce. That's fabulous, Whoa. Joe. Thank you for your work in the world. That's totally awesome. We need that. We need more people doing that kind of thing, more people bringing that to the stage and, um, more people just honoring LGBTQIA people in general. Um, so today we were going to talk about sacred gender bending. Now, I worded it that way because I wasn't really sure how to word this topic in that, like we've talked about that it being a sacred calling but there are so many different ways to hear this call. And I know you, Lacrosse, you've probably met lots of people. You, you, you doing uh, interviews with LGBTQIA people. Um, tell me, like, what is what are just some of the roles that you can think of different ways that people come to gender bending of any kind? Some of them came through, through drag. You know, drag was a big conduit for a lot of people, including myself. Uh, some of them just kind of like I'm, I'm I'm thinking of a special story they just kind of always knew and started very young um there's I don't know there's just so many different conduits to get there I mean I mean most of the people I've encountered were through drag that they started out with drag and and either whether queen or king you know and some of them actually are very gender you know like gender queer they they literally flip back and forth through feminine and masculine um so most of my experience from people have been through drag mm. 
So yeah, that's that's definitely one way. I think for me, um, although I definitely worked with drag queens when I um, before I came to drag as a king, um, I also met a lot of I also met a lot a lot of crossdressers because of the because I was working in the sex industry. Um, and so crossdressers, um, often feel hidden or like it's this big, dirty secret. Um, so <laughs> sex workers, of course, get a lot of those secrets. And, um, and then I think, and then as time went on, I also met people that were just, um, they were just queer, like they were just gay. Um, but they were still gender variant because like I had a friend who used to do, he, he was uh, a Wicca high priest and this is in the radical fairies and he would come out to do ceremony in uh, high heels and um, a beautiful dress, but he would be wearing like a button up shirt type guys, a masculine shirt with a tie or something like that. And he had a way of twisting gender around yeah. um so he was in he was part of the pagan community um his name is eric eldritch and he's still part of the radical fairies <laughs> and you know then there were other and there were other people around him that were also pagan that did a very similar thing um and so I already kind of knew about drag and then as uh I, I mean I had worked um I used to sell sex toys too. So like me and the drag queen would work it uh, when I did that in the bar. So I definitely work with drag queens. So when I moved to Harrisburg area, that's how I came into drag. Um, somebody I'd just seen, they didn't say who, how did you get started in drag? So I went to a drag show with my, um, with my transgender friend who was uh, going out to have a drink with me as I was questioning my gender. And um, I kind of just was watching the show and a drag king came out and I was like, I could do that. <laughs> I could totally do that. I could do that really well, actually. And, um, and then I, uh, that pretty much did it. Later on in the night, I went to the bathroom and that's when I met uh, Jade and other drag queens, and they were like, "Absolutely, here's the um, here's the Harrisburg Drag Race," and I entered the Harrisburg Drag Race and went on from there and won a few titles, including State Street and Mr. Lancaster PA Pride. Um, and I just no, I am not in the Harrisburg area. Then what I did was I left Harrisburg and got to travel the country in an RV. So I got to perform in places like Arizona, Oregon. Um, and let me just say, drag is everywhere. Drag is everywhere, but it's very prominent mm. in small oppressed towns. Yeah. So, and I got to be part of like Boston Pride and stuff like that. So my friends um, drag, you know, no matter where you live, there's usually a drag community. Of course I've performed, I now live in the Rocky Mountains and I have some friend, drag friends and stuff here in Denver. 
um, really sweet people. And, you know, drag community is nation worldwide. I was told that if I come to Germany, I could perform there. So <laughs> I was like, really? He, and he was like, uh, yeah, definitely. So, so lacrosse, how about you answer Jess's question? How did you get started in drag? I got started in drag. I, uh, it was started off about nine years ago as a, I don't know, a challenge, I guess, or like, a, I just was curious. And I took my ex's clothes and I painted on and I went to the bar and fooled everybody. Uh, they were sending me beers and beers and beers. And I, back then they called me mama at the bar. So uh, when I went there and I, even the bartender didn't recognize me until I smile and then they saw the gap and they're like, oh no, that's so wrong on every level. And they kept pushing me to do drag. Um, then finally I did. I did my first performance in the Tally Ho and then went through uh, Lancaster Drag Idol, which is another comp competitive uh, uh, drag drag uh, venue. Um, and it's a 10-week competition. So I did that. And then I just started doing drag two, three times a week and became addicted because not so much the drag scene, but seeing myself as myself as a male was what I needed. And... I was doing two, three, sometimes four shows a week. And and that's how I started. It was just starting. I went to the bar one time and then it just took off. <laughs> and then well, yeah, titles, and, the whole nine. I'm like. <clears throat> and it helped you realize like your need to transition. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, I had always been there. But I think doing the drag and actually, I think that's the interesting thing about drag is, is when you can actually see yourself. Like I, I put on the beard and I saw myself and I was going back. I'm like, there you are. Now you look how I feel on the inside. And that was huge for me. And once again, and then it just started Every day I had to see it and just smear a little here and here and, you know, there, because <laughs> I had to see myself. <clears throat> I understand that. It was an interesting experience for me because at the time I was questioning whether I needed to transition, if I needed to be seen as a man. And um, I, you know, I invented this drag king named Izzy Ahi. So mm. my drag name is Izzy Ahi. Like, is he a he? Right. Okay. And um, literally, that was kind of my question. Is he a he? Am I a he inside? Uh, and it was a great way to try it on. And at first, I was really like, wow, it was like, um, it was, it, it was bliss. It was blissful and beautiful. And I really felt expressed. I felt seen for a long time. And then some time passed and I got used to seeing Izzy, like you said, lacrosse doing a couple shows a week. I was, I was Izzy everywhere. People knew me as Izzy. Even if I showed up like this, people would right. be like, Izzy. And I'm like, wait a minute. Um, and I think that what happened to me was they started calling me he all the time. Right. And I was kind of okay with that, but then I was like, hmm, and something happened and I felt there was another part of me 
that didn't quite get seen. And I felt that I didn't want to walk away from what I felt like was a sisterhood because I have mothered a child. I lived as a woman. I was married. I've been a wife. I uh, have been a sex, a female sex worker. Um, and I just, I just felt like there was like this kind of sisterhood or something and I wasn't ready to walk away from it. And I don't know if you walk away from it by transitioning, but that's what it felt like to me that you weren't seeing that side of me. And so then when I was introduced to the idea of being non-binary, that seemed to really call to me inside. And I felt like I could listen to that, Right. that I was non-binary and um, that I could be express if I was expressed that way it was easier for me to work with it um it was easier for me to feel seen because I feel like I'm both so um so that's kind of how it worked I totally relate to that because when I uh had been doing drag at that point everybody called me he and I had not transitioned like it was there but it wasn't really public so my ex would get very angry and be like, why do they call you he? And I'm like, they're not wrong. And they couldn't understand that. It was very difficult for them. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but this is. And and the more I kept hearing he, the more it started settling. Like I was at peace. I wasn't, I, 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 I was to the point, I can't correct people because to me to correct them, is to deny who I am. In my case, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, I got a frog on my throat. Sure. So yeah, I totally identify with that, you know. Yeah. And I think, um, Joseph, you're saying something I never done drag, but I thought if doing it not as a female, but just androgynous, I think Joe, you totally can. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about being broke. <laughs> <laughs> you figure it out. People let you borrow stuff. Um, but yeah, like for me, um, I've done androgynous drag. I think, I don't know if you've done anything like that. I did a gender bender once and. Did it work for you? No, no, it was (laughs) so, it's terrible. I ended up doing a mystique from X-Men and the comic is very, uh, I don't know, very feminine. And when I started getting the cat calls and the, I was like, "Mm, no, never again, never again. And the men were being very disgusting. And I was like, no, no, never again. I understand. That's not exactly the, the best part of it for sure. Um, so it sounds like Jess, it sounds like I relate to a lot to that. The first time I cut my hair short, I was like, wow, I see myself. Exactly. Jess, that's exactly how drag works. And the nice thing uh, I think about drag is that you can also add magic to it. Yeah. Because if you are called to the path of drag, it usually means that you're going to go out on stage. And there's something about having your audience feed that part of you. There's something about that feeds you and makes you feel brilliant and embody it more. And then you're while you're on stage, you probably become more and more confident, right? Like if the crowd is supportive, right? 
and then you feel more and more uh, supported. And then the next thing you know, you really can embody that part of you. And then that feels, um, that kind of like fuels your own embodiment of drag. Don't you think, you know what oh, I'm yeah. talking about there? Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. The I, I think when you hit that stage and whether it's five or 500, but you can feel that energy. It's like this, this, um, I hate to say it's like this transference of energy. And when they, uh, and when they, and, and, and when you feel their energy where they're excited and they're enjoying it, you can actually embody more of what you're doing. So, <clears throat> so yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, so that's one way. So clearly the two of us were called to our gender bend sort of through drag. And I did kind of hear the call through drag queens as I was like, you know, there was, there were no drag kings really um, before I seen that one drag king. Okay, there were no drag kings. Um, and that's, and before that, I used to think, well, if there's drag queens, there's yeah. gotta be drag kings. And um, so I, I did get, I did hear the call of the sacredness of gender variance through drag. But there are some people um, that don't come through drag. I've met people that don't. Um, I know a farmer who is a trans man um, and I met him before he transitioned. And then I was his friend, continued to be his friend, regardless of his choices um, as he chose to choose his masculine side to express. And he had to like leave home because he was born on a farm in Wisconsin and he had to leave home. And he was a farmer at a, at a um, place that I worked at, a CSA that I was part of. And he was a really good person. Uh, he just took some time, I guess, maybe uh, doing all those, all that farm tractor work or some part of that. Um, fed his soul in a way. And after some time, we were outside of Baltimore, Maryland at the time, after some time, he started to tell me that he was probably trans. And then later he told me he was going to transition. Then we lost contact for a little while. And then we came back together here in Colorado. And he told me that he had transitioned and did I want to still see him? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, you're still my friend. Right. And, uh, <laughs> But I realized that that experience of transitioning, especially for him, it wasn't public like you're like right. even you or I was lacrosse. Right. It was more private. And he lived on a farm with very knowing very few people. His family struggled with it. His girlfriend was supportive. Um, his wife was supportive. And even the farming community, if you stay in the more sustainable, progressive farming community, is more supportive. Um, so he was okay. And now today I noticed he was back in Wisconsin oh. and I was like, Oh, <laughs> I guess his family got over it or something. Maybe. Maybe. Um, yeah. And I, I want to, I'm going to reach out to him and see what's going on, see mm -hmm. how things are for him. But in that experience, that was a very private experience. Did he change the world by transitioning? Right. Yes, right. he did. Right. 
he his path is still just as sacred as yours or mine it even that, though it was a fairly private experience ex well that leads me to a similar story but not in a farm actually in the orthodox the jewish orthodox community uh there is a rabbi who is a trans man um and there is a trans woman and they actually transitioned within the orthodox community which, which is very private very private um but they and they literally like in, in in the orthodoxy the the men and the women pray separately so she was able to now pray with the women and he was able to teach and be a rabbi and do do many you know many things <clears throat> so i mean and their path is very sacred because here they are in this very orthodox community which you would think that's a no-go you know especially it's you know the more the more conservative the religion the less accepting society is for us mm -hmm. and to see the orthodoxy accept them and embrace them and allow them to be able to be themselves and transition it's 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 a beautiful thing and that continues the work you know because now they're taking it to a whole new level within the religion which is so you know how it is they're conservative you know but to see them do that work in there and bring people around and say hey we still are spiritual we still are human beings we still are you know we're, we're the same person we just made the outside match the inside that's all that happened nothing drastic really happened yeah so. and i think that even the small circle that they touch you know of course they're touching the unorthodox the orthodox uh spiritual community yeah. my farmer friend right like he's mostly just touching his friends his family right like his brother was totally comfortable with it but his right. parents had some time they had to get used to it and i think that I think that the community, like even for those people that are transitioning privately, your path is still sacred. Like even if you're not public about it, even if you're, a lot of people don't know about it, even if you hesitate about it for a long time, right. it's still sacred. So that's what, that's what I'm kind of here to say. And then the other the other type of people, especially that I notice they really struggle with their sacredness as far as gender variant people are cross-dressers mm. and these are people when i say cross-dresser i define that as a person that does it in private usually sometimes public but most of the time private and they do it for sexual reasons which is fine um i don't i don't like to make them into super perverts Right. Um, I, I think that sexuality has a way of bringing forth things that we ignore or oppress, mm -hmm. um, especially our shadow. So when people, so when people express their gender variance in sexuality, it makes me say, okay, well, they're clearly might be oppressing it elsewhere. And most of the time, those people don't tell anyone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes nobody knows. Their wife doesn't know. Their children don't know. Nobody knows. Are those people sacred? Yes, they are. And there are several reasons why. And I would say that their sacred path 
um, their sacred path actually touches the world because they still live in the world. Right. They might have a job or whatever. <laughs> now, sometimes they're prejudiced or homophobic against a person that's trans. Right. And I think that that's a little bit of jealousy or a little bit of, you know, like, don't show me who I am. Right. Self-hatred, a little self-hatred. Like self-hatred and they're projecting it at this transgender person in their life. That happens sometimes. So if you're a transgender person suffering with that, you know, um, I'm sorry. And just know that it's about them, not you. Right. Um, <laughs> and so there's that, yes. Um, and that even that is a catalyst for change because transgender people like me and you lacrosse, we go, you know what? Yeah. And uh, we, we say, fuck you, and I'm doing it anyway, right. right? And I know we're not the only ones. There's a lot of transgender people that have had to do that. And it's kind of the fuel that gets you out of the station, yeah. right? That Absolutely. gets you from sitting on the chair saying, I might be trans to the, to the person that says, I am trans, and you're not going to tell me I'm wrong for it. Right. So right. it's often a catalyst. If it doesn't come through like that, the other way it comes through is where, and these are my favorite kinds of cross-dressers sometimes, is that they will be very gentle mm -hmm. with a transgender person. Uh, they will be very understanding. They will be very like opening doors for them. Even secretly they'll do it. Right, they'll right. be like, so I just, you know, he's, he's homophobic. <laughs> and I'm sorry. And I don't, I, I don't have any problem with the, you know, with you being right. trans and this is how I want to help you. Right. Um, and so in my opinion, um, even the people that are cross-dressers that choose to express in that way, and of course they're changing the sex industry, which is also very important for them to change. And I assure you, they are also changing the doms that they see. Um, there are a lot of them that see professional dominatrix and I've met these women and I've been one of those women. Um, and when they visit every single cross-dresser that came to me, I was always like, fascinating. First of all, why do I get a lot of cross-dressers? <laughs> and second of all, this is a fascinating expression that is in, and, and we got to explore in their mind how much they wanted to be a woman and how that they wanted to explore that side of them. And that changed me. Mm. That changed my opinion of what it was and what it meant to be trans and to be a crossdresser. So absolutely, they are changing the doms that they are seeing um, or the sex workers that they are visiting or any other place that they might be mingling around. So even crossdressers, people like to give them a bad name, but they're just human beings like the rest of us. And most of them are just living with, I think you're right. Um, so here we go. Eve said, sometimes the secrecy involved inflicts shame, right, Eve, which is problematic in reconciling urges and identification and being able to overcome the shame mentally. Exactly, Eve. And, and that's kind of like 
Um, I think that's what happens sometimes with cross-dressing people, with people, especially if they're very, very, very secret about it. Right. Um, the, you know, that nobody knows or can even imagine this tough guy who cross-dresses for something right. like that. <laughs> I think um, it's so sad because there's such a, you know, and, and it's really hard for men because in that aspect is, is for them to show any, any effeminate, in any effeminate way, it's, it's just, oh, yeah, you know, the guys are so stupid. Like we are dumb, you know, <laughs> and, and I tried and and that was something so interesting because before I was very toxic masculine, I was a very toxic masculine person pre-transition which is crazy but when i transitioned it allowed me to ex embrace femininity or mine which it's not very feminine but it's still there i mean because of that whole carrying two genders within you you know what you're born with and what you your soul is and trying to embrace both of them and and unite them you have to start you can't, okay, in my opinion, you can't, like me transitioning to a man, I couldn't erase her, okay? I, I could put her to sleep, you know, I can put her away, but I can't erase it. You know, it's like even a bad breakup. Yeah, you can walk away from it, but you can't erase it. It's it's always going to be a part of you for the rest of your life. And that's how I figure with with who I was. But then in actually looking at myself, instead of hating that, I actually learned to love her and kind of think, damn, you had it rough. And damn, you know, there are some privileges here that I need to check. And I think it's so sad that these men, when they feel a little bit of femininity, it is shut down, shot down, done. And they, and, and so I think if they were to be able to freely express femininity without any type of judgment, you would see more cross-dressing, mm -hmm. you know, because that's just as taboo as now, like basically I would call it the bottom of the barrel. We're the bottom of the barrel right now in the sense is those are the ones that people are going after. What the hell's trans? I don't understand it. Make up your mind. What are you a man or what are you really, you're not a real man. You're not a real woman, you know, and all this bashing. And they're right along with us because I do look at them as being under the trans umbrella, mm -hmm. you know? Me too. And I think when I, when I used to uh, have cross-dresser clients, um, I noticed that too, lacrosse, first of all, most of them would walk in, I swear, some of them were football players. Oh, I'd believe it. Um, big, tough big burly men and I'm like you want me to put you in a dress I hope you brought your own dress sweetie I don't know <laughs> if I have a dress <laughs> and um and and there were times that I had to be really creative about how I would dress them as a woman mm. um and I did and I found that they would walk in toxic and walk out it was almost as if they were creating their own um treatment for their yeah. toxic masculinity. Yeah. So in order to, and that's what I realized after hundreds of cross-dressing clients as a professional dom, I figured out that they were, they, they were using it like medicine. 
and they were using it to balance out the toxic masculinity that they experienced on a day-to-day basis. All of the things that made them oppress their emotions, all of the things that made them oppress any femininity that they might have felt or express or felt like expressing, like they would oppress it all and then bring it to those sessions. And it was like medicine for these guys. Because yeah, that sense of release like okay this is the one environment where i can be myself where i can be free you know and and it's so hard to find a safe space just even like on regular even less when you know which why do you you know i always say why do so many people who are trans like a lot of them do start in the drag community because this is the first community that it's not for for a woman to dress up as a man or a man to dress up as a woman that's not anything taboo in the drag community everybody does it you know so it's the idea space. (laughs) yeah exactly um so anyway so yeah i just i you know, cross-dressers are one expression, then there's people that transition really privately. Then there's also like um, the other type of person I've encountered are gender fluid people that like every single day and sometimes two or three times a day, they change their gender identity and um, it can be hard to keep up with and they're aware of that usually. and that they change their gender or that their gender changes, I suppose. They don't change their gender, but it changes for them uh, throughout the day. And it's kind of like a flood of water. Yeah, it's very, become water. You know, it's like, it's like Bruce Lee, become water. You know, I actually, it was really neat because I was walking downtown and there is so much gender fluidity here where I'm at. And I'm walking downtown and this gender, well, they, I'm going to say they, it was obviously they, they were born male, but man, they were rocking their little spaghetti strap dress with their little heels, with their little, and I was like, yes, yes. It's like the whole time I'm just looking at them and I'm like, that's so beautiful to me. I look at that and I'm like, because it's. I pride, I get, I get so happy and prideful for their freedom to be able to do that, you know, in such a binary world where they're like, I don't give a shit. I'm getting up and I'm going to put heels on and I'm going to put a dress on and my head's shaved and I got a five o'clock shadow and all this just wrapped up in one human being. And to me, that is like, that's the epitome of beautiful. And in a sense, when you're thinking of us because they have that courage to go out there and do that. And that's what's so beautiful to me. Yeah, I would agree that um, definitely that's what JoJo's saying. I really think transgender people are a symbol of bravery. I agree, Joseph. Um, Transgender people are a symbol of bravery. I think even cross-dressers are. I think everybody that does it in any way, I think that all of us are brave. And so gender fluid people, I found that for them, gender is so fluid that it's like water. It's hard to separate. Um, And I think that that's okay. And I think they have a different message for the world, um, which is exactly what I just said, is that gender can't be separated. 
and that it really is we are really all one human being um and they kind of carry that message and i think so do non-binary people especially people that identify um as gender neutral where they are kind of like um i don't get gender gender i, I don't have a gender um those sort of identities um you see it come out in a variety of ways i've seen it i've witnessed it um and i'm like oh okay and one person called them themselves without gender um, and that was beautifully sacred to me as well. And what makes something sacred? And I think that what makes something sacred is, is that it has some sort of impact on the world right. as a whole. Right. And even if it's only one other person, and often it's not, because if nothing else, you know, often it's several people, lots of people are influenced by you. Um, even if you are a toxic male, <laughs> that's uh, mean to transgender people. I assure you as a catalyst yeah, that you're catalysting some people uh, out of sitting on the bench um, and making us angry enough that we have to do something. Right, right. So even those people, even those people are important. And of course, I think allies are super important. Why? Because they're the person that's in the conversation that we're not in, right? Right. And someone is misgendering me. So then when the ally says, I think Hollis needs they, them, you should use they, them, or, um, you know, a person that can a person that can kind of stand up and understand. I found that they understand. I don't know about you, but most of the allies I know have done a lot of work around gender. Right, right. But they just concluded that they were cis. Right, right, exactly. I think most most of my allies, I mean, they they a lot of them are cis. I, I actually have a little bit more struggle within the community than I do outside of the community and i mean it happens you know but usually when i'm when i encounter people and you know you have to have that whole coming out again because you meet new people or you start a new job and you're like oh they're gonna find out they're gonna find out because i live a very public life so it's not like i hide being transgender i bullhorn that everywhere you know so it's always that there's always that conversation, you know, and what's beautiful is at the end of the conversation is say, well, first off, I would have never known if you wouldn't have told or if this person wouldn't have said anything. And second off, it doesn't matter. You know, and when you hear that, they're like, no, I see a man and that's what you are and that's how you portray yourself and that's what you want to be called. You're a man. And they leave it at that and end of conversation. And most of the, I would say 90% of the allies or people that I talk with, that's where the conversation goes. And that's how it ends. And that's it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know? Uh, yeah, for me, um, a similar thing happens. If I say I'm not binary, they'll thank me for telling them. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll ask them for they pronouns. Um, and and that, that's, that can be... Um, I can have a mixed bag with that, with the they, them pronouns. So you're getting he and you're transitioned. And I know um, that as a transition male, that that's 
you know, that's the benefit really of transitioning. That's one of the biggest benefits um, is that people will see you as the gender that you choose to portray. Um, and there are some people that have gotten better and I'm with, so Brighthawk is saying people who seem to struggle with pronouns lack presence. It's usually true, Brighthawk. Um, and they, they do, uh, it's, there seems to be a lack of like, um, like they'll just keep talking and I'm like, they, 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 and I'll just keep correcting them. And then sometime, you know, after like the 20th correction, then yeah. they'll be like, why do you keep saying they? And I'm like, right. cause that's my pronoun. Oh, was right. I using she? They don't even know that they were using it. Uh, and then of course there are some people that do microaggressions, um, microaggressions. Yeah, it's all good. Allergies Let's have been crazy. I got ragweed. <laughs> ragweed is hard fall. right now. It's fall, um, yeah. Well, bless you. Thank you. Um, and I think that there's microaggressions and you may have had some of this. I noticed that trans women get a lot of this where they've come out, they start transitioning. People notice that they transition, but a person will be like, he like that or yep. she like that, you know, and I'm yeah. like, they're transitioning and clearly asking for the yeah. other one, but you're going back to the set. Oh man, come on. Right, Stop right. gendering them. I, I, I had that done so many times because they knew who I was. And then what, what, what I think aggravates me the most is when they want a confirmation. Like I would say, yeah, I knew you like this before. And I said, well, that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't, just because you knew me before doesn't give you the right to continue, you know, and, and they're looking for that confirmation of, or justification as to why they said she, because they knew me before. You see what I'm saying? And I never could understand why I, I and, and I would tell them, I'm like, what do you see? Like, I, I, if you say you can't tell, then maybe it's a they, them. If it's an androgynous person, then maybe it's a they, them. And go with they, them, because that's literally the safest way. I said, but if you see there's hair growing, the voice is deeper, there's nothing here, I think you got to go with he. It's, <laughs> I'm going to shoot it at, you know, we'll, we'll roll the dice. Let's see. But I really... I've had mad microaggression and it's frustrating. I've had it for people who met me like this, then found out and then switched up on me. Oh no. Yeah. And worse That's off that. at a bar in front of people. At a queer bar? No, it was, okay. it was my, it was at my, <laughs> my work and it got ugly. Person kept saying she, person kept saying she. And well, it started off, they wanted to know what I looked like previously. And I don't have a problem with that. I really don't because I don't, I'm not ashamed of it. I don't go out of my way to show it, but you know, if you genuinely want to know and you're curious about it then, and it's for educational reasons, look, this is what I look like. And the first response is, oh, you're so beautiful. Okay. All right. Well, I guess, thank you. After that, she, 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 nonstop. Wow. I, yeah. And I literally had to go off on her and say, you didn't meet me. 
Oh, well, I saw the picture. I understand you saw the picture, but you see this every day. There is no excuse to say she. So, yeah. And isn't that encounter, that encounter that you had, as uncomfortable as it was, mm -hmm. it was necessary and sacred. Yeah. It's part of your sacred path. Mm-hmm. And so when you get misgendered as a gender variant person, it's supposed to feel uncomfortable so right. that you do something about right. it. Exactly. exactly. And I know that that's really hard to hear for some young people that are just now figuring out that they're trans and they right. feel they feel that their their gender is whatever, but right. we're all part of the gender revolution every single one of us and you are being called as an activist as a person and you could stay in the closet if you wanted to and that is a choice that some people choose and i think that mm -hmm. that's an okay choice too yeah. for some people clearly they need that mm -hmm. but if you want to be out and you want people to use the appropriate gen gender pronoun i assure you you're probably going to get misgendered somewhere along the line so find a way to deal with it find a way to not take it personally find a way to make it about them and not you because it clearly wasn't about you right lacrosse it was um, clearly about that person absolutely and that's absolutely. microaggression yep. because they are homophobic yeah clearly absolutely and, or transphobic transphobic right. is really what we could call mm -hmm. that um and i think that the, that we're here to change transphobic people absolutely Absolutely. I think it's a responsibility we have as being sacred people. If we're, we're sacred and, and our journey is sacred and that means we have work to do and the work will never stop. And it's our responsibility. I'm not going to say everybody has that responsibility. I'm going to say it's my responsibility. If I'm going to live my life out as a transgender person and call myself a trans man, because I've had people say, why don't you just call yourself a man? You don't have to say trans man. No, I do. I do have to say trans man because I can't hide. I could because I pass, but then in clear conscience, I can't hide. So if I'm going to be living my life publicly like this, then it is my responsibility to educate to bring people to a better understanding of what being a transgender person is. You know, I think it's my responsibility and it's my, like you say, it's our calling. Mm -hmm. And that's the, that's the gift we can give, live our life authentically and educate and educate and educate and educate a yeah. hundred times <laughs> the same person. Yeah. He, he, yep. he, you know? no, I'm not laughing. That's my pronoun. <laughs> <laughs> there was this, guy um who i was part of a community and he kept misgendering me and um he wouldn't always um apologize but he would be like oh oh right okay yeah not she you want they okay and then 20 minutes later he would do it again and he kept doing it and doing it and doing it and so this is what i use my friends and i encourage you to take this and use it um i I seen him as a, he's in, he wasn't a toxic male. He was a genuine um, guy that generally cares about people, generally. And I said, you know what? I pulled him aside and in a private conversation, I explained that transgender people have the highest suicide rate of any other person. Do you know why that might be? And uh, he was like, 
no, that's terrible. I didn't know that. I was like, yeah, out of any other group of people, transgender people have the highest suicide rate. I think one of the number one reasons that transgender people end up killing themselves is because they can't be seen. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways that a person is seen is with language. So every time you misgender me, you pretty much punch me in the gut. And he's like, oh my God, I don't mean to do that. Oh my. And I'm like, yeah. So every time you use the word she, you punch me in the gut and tell me that my masculinity and my non-binary identity does not matter. Right. And you further my gender dysphoria which is exactly what fuels most people's suicidal tendencies, which I have had. I'm not saying I'm going to kill myself over what you're saying to me right now, but if you continue to do it, I'm going to have to distance from you because you're toxic right. to my field. Now, this guy was like, <laughs> oh, by the time we were done, he was a changed man. Wow. He was like, I... I had no idea the impact of my words. I thought it was stupid that I kept messing up, but I just didn't know how important it was. That's the same lady that would keep misgendering. I, I broke it down to her. I said, every time you misgender me, I said, you're putting my life in danger. Every single time, especially when you do it publicly, you're putting me in danger because now all they're seeing is a man, but you're saying she... And then they're going to start asking questions. Somebody's going to get offended and call and think I'm a liar because I'm hiding and what I am biologic, what I was born. I hate saying biologically what I was born. Um, I said, so they could be waiting outside for me, beat the shit out of me, rape me. Anything can happen. Kill me all because they don't like what I am. That's what you're doing. Every single time you're putting, not just me, my son works in the back. You're putting him in jeopardy. I said, Sue, I wouldn't put you in jeopardy. I wouldn't put you, would you like it for somebody to put your life on the line? And she was like, well, no. And I'm like, well, you're putting my life on the line. I said, right. and do you know how many people kill us? I could do it. We could go up to date right now. I can look it up for you and I could show you how many of us have been killed just for being transgender. Just this year. Just this year, you know? And that was one that I realized works as well. Like I like the one, the one you, you know, and then I told her, I said, and also for the record, I could just start calling you him. Other people will hear it. And guess what? I'm going to be putting your life in jeopardy because they're going to think, wow. That's a dude. Right. It can go either way, you know. <laughs> it's yeah. but and it's kind of it's kind of an intense experience, but sometimes you have to get intense with people. And I'm not saying you have to do it every time. Right. Um, but you know, I also use the argument that language is the first step in the gender revolution. This is only the first step, just like the first step to curing cancer is not saying I'm dying of cancer is to right. say I'm living with cancer, right? right? That's the first thing you want to start doing is chasing, changing your language. And so the first thing to change in gender pronouns in the gender revolution is your language. We have to see gender variant people by using our words. 
they are more powerful than you ever could imagine. Exactly. All right, my friends, we're going to take a little break. And I just want to invite you to come back as we continue to talk about the sacredness of gender and gender bending, how it calls to you and how to answer that call. So my friends, just we're going to take a little break so you can go to the bathroom or get yourself a drink or whatever you need to do. We'll be right back. Divine Androgen, a sacred path for gender variant people. A book dedicated to every drag performer, transgender person, and other gender variant people that have passed to the other side, that have suffered the wrath of our binary world. Thank you for living your truth and treading us a path. We are sorry that in many cases that cost you your life. Now, we ask for your assistance in helping humans evolve so that we may all live in peace and equality. We honor your life by walking our own personal path of authenticity. Get this amazing book all about living as a non-binary person, a gender variant person in a binary world. How to navigate it, how to harvest your true self when you're surrounded by binary. It's a guidebook for people searching for their true selves. The book is intended for people that are gender variant and can be helpful for people searching for a more authentic self or clearing trauma. This book is about treading your own path. It includes my story in the beginning, all about how I figured out how I express gender and now how it comes out for me, how I discovered it and how I dealt in the world as a response to that. And it also details out the ways that I unfolded myself in a way that helped me live in a binary world, even though I was non-binary. There are steps in here to help you define your own path. Hollis uses the word divine androgen. It's like a label to define someone that defines their own authentic path, regardless of their gender expression, in a way to say that it is sacred to be non-binary, to be transgender, to be queer. It is sacred, not religious. No, no. We're talking about more of a spiritual, conscious awareness of ourselves and our path on authenticity. This book is about defining your path of authenticity, as authentic and unique as that is for you. You can also order the book at divineandrogen.com. We're back. Hey, 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 glad you're back. And I just want to say I'm excited about your uh, your master of none. Yes, uh, yes. It is a very small project and I'm very excited with it. Every I think day. it's actually really cool. Yeah, I do like a lot of five minute videos of just, I don't know, thoughts or lessons. Um, once a month we do a, an actual class. Um, last month, I think we did uh, animal totems, ravens. I think it was called ravens, crows and bears. Oh my. You know, and we basically broke down the animal totems for that 
for that, I guess, astrological or zodiac month. Okay. And then next month we're going to be doing from October into November. So it, and do the animal totems for that. So that way every month we can actually see what the totems, how they reflect on our personalities and things like that. So how are they, con- how are they connected to the Zodiac other than obviously some Zodiac? Uh, well, it's, it's really more connected to the moon because like in there are 13 moons a year. Uh, so that's kind of how I figured it, it's connected to the Zodiac because it's literally from the moon to moon. So, uh, okay. So you're basing it on like where the moon, like whatever moon cycles, the sign is in. Okay. Yeah. So if like Libra is in, let's say, okay, we're in Libra now. Um, but beginning of September, it was, uh, Virgo and now we're going into October, but then it'll go into Scorpio. Well, it's kind of the same with the totems. Like we'll be like, and there's usually more than one totem. Cause we don't like, not every Libra is a Libra. You know, it's right. like the planets mean different. It's the same thing with the animal totems. Not every animal is for that just one month, you know, or that one area. It's more than one animal. So, sure. yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. I was just wondering how they were connected. That's yeah. Uh, animal totems. Um, and I'm thinking like Scorpio, are you going to do the scorpion? You know, um, <laughs> no, I think theirs is totally different. <laughs> is to- well, and it's also based on Northern like the Americas, because depending on where you are, like somewhere in Africa, they would be different totems that they, that represent them because they're in Africa. They wouldn't have, you know, what we have. And like, we wouldn't have an elephant because they're not really from here. So. Yeah, probably not. And uh, well, Scorpio, I seen a scorpion in Las Vegas, Nevada (laughs) out in the, uh, we were can't, we're actually at a fire circle is actually where I got married. Um, but anyway, (laughs) it was, it, it, we were cleaning up our campsite and, uh, I was picking things up and that's the first and only time I've ever seen a live scorpion in the wild. Right. Um, and you know, it's at the Valley of fire. There's no trees or plants. And if there is, there's little sage bushes or something. And anyway, I picked up a piece of cardboard and this little guy, came yeah. scampering out and I was like yeah, I would have been terrified. <laughs> terrified. I was like, oh it was a little scary. Yeah, I was a little scary. I stepped back. I stepped yeah. back. Oh, I gave yeah. it gave it gave it some room. Scorpions don't usually bite unless they get cornered or something. Yeah. Um so of course he took off into the into the you know wild and I was like okay bye <laughs> um you, you enjoy, enjoy life see you later keep going <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um, but I do, you know, um, I, there have apparently been some pretty big scorpions in Costa Rica too. So, you know, and there's a whole different set of animals. Like when you yeah. travel, even, you know, they say your astrology changes when you travel. And that's um, probably also what happens uh, with the animals. Cause I feel very connected to sloths when I go to Costa Rica and monkeys right. in general. Right. So <clears throat> they're pretty awesome creatures. Well, it was funny. Somebody had told me, well, your totem's crows, and there are no crows in Puerto Rico. I said, that's because they're extinct, but there were crows. There were actually crows crows in Puerto Rico. There are no crows in Puerto Rico. I've never been to Puerto Rico yet. That's what I was just thinking. I haven't been there yet. I've been to Costa Rica, but not there. Their crows were actually red-eyes, black, with white hair. Huh. The original crows from Puerto Rico. You can find them in the Dominican Republic. But not in Puerto Rico. But not in Puerto Rico. Mm -hmm. Well, that's sad. Well, yeah. I'm sure they'll move back uh, at some point. Let's hope. 
It's been a well, hundred years. I'm hoping. Just give us the ones from the DR, okay? Give us the ones from the Dominican Republic and let us repopulate. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I thought they were kind of everywhere, Cruz. Yeah. Um, but they have more magpies. Oh, I like those. Um, I like. I like. Guess I like all birds. <laughs> but um, I was just gonna say that I put in the chat, you guys, if you're looking to have your dream interpreted. Put it in the chat and we'll just we'll uh, take take a little break and and do the dream interpretation since i forgot to say it before we went to break i forgot and, <laughs> oops but that's because we were talking about such a beautiful topic yes of the sacred gender bend and you know i was thinking about the other people that i've witnessed um uh, sort of push gender boundaries um and some of them are just gay guys like if you ask them they're like no nah, i'm just gay you know <laughs> and then you're like okay um but they but they push the gender like they're just effeminate yeah. or they're just masculine i know masculine expressing lesbians um and they don't usually not some of them of course are not great like turfs and things like that that don't like trans people but yeah. um but but a lot of them are just they're fine with trans people they're just they just never seen themselves as trans right right but they definitely express outside the binary and i don't know about you but have you ever been influenced by one of those people even if just by meeting them you were kind of you kind of even question your own expression I I don't know that I question my own, but I think in meeting them, I mean, I can think of someone right off the top of my head from Harrisburg and they are just, their expression, it's literally like a painting just exploded on stage, you know, and, uh, and they, like, I looked at that and I don't know that it influenced me, but I thought, oh my God, that courage, that strength, that pride that you know like everything that they represent forward was and what they put on stage and how they carry themselves no apologies like totally unapologetic that would be the most influence just seeing their personality in in their boldness and that's inspiring you know especially being as a trans person you know it's very inspiring to see this person this is who I am. This is the way it is. Um, you're not going to put me in a box. You're not going to put me in a gender. You're not going to put me in anything. And their expression is just probably, once again, it's just a beautiful expression and, and it's very inspiring. It never, it's hard. Like I said, I, I, I can embrace my feminine aspects, but they only go so far. Like mine go basically when it comes to parenting, I am a mother. I am a mother. I, I am a typical mom, you know, and, but that's where all my feminine energy goes. Like it doesn't really go anywhere else. And, you know, especially having the opportunity to birth children, like not a lot of people, trans, trans men have that opportunity. And I was very fortunate pre-transition. I was able to birth my children the whole nine, but that's as far as my fem feminine can go mm -hmm. you know it kind of stifles right there it stops 
Yeah, mine mostly is like from the past too. Right. Like mine's kind of asleep in a way or mm. going to sleep since I'm going through menopause. Ha -ha. Um, right. <laughs> and I'm going, bye. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> and I'm happy to see it go. You know, right. I do feel like I'm stepping into true androgyny actually physically. Right. Um, physically, which I guess is kind of maybe what it felt like for you after you had surgeries. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that I feel like now as I'm naturally going through m menopause, um, that I'm stepping into what is to be androgyny for the rest of my life, right. physical androgyny. And right. no one would argue that like right. even cisgendered women going through menopause, they, they go through this whole thing about letting go of their womanhood. And of course, for me, it was like, that was just me pretending it was more like a character that I held right. um, than a real part of who I was, right. except that I have all these experiences because right. I did spend the first 30 years of my life trying to be a woman right. um, and doing my best to be that. And so I think that those are the experiences I'm not willing to give up. Right. And you know, what's interesting is when I was, questioning when I was coming to terms, I met some people that were very private trans people, like super private. Like they didn't like, not like you, not like you lacrosse where you come out and you say, I'm a trans man. They would just be like, I'm a man. You didn't know they were trans. I didn't know they were trans. Right. And then I got to know them a little bit more. And then they, both of them came out to me in private, they came out to me and said, I'm trans. And they felt like they had to tell me they were trans. And um, because we were getting closer and I, I, I wasn't aware that they were trans, you know? And then I had another friend and she went through a really private thing and it was so private. She couldn't, she couldn't even barely um, chat with me or allow me to publicly talk about her because of her work in the world, mm. because she works in, she was working in Africa, okay, mm. where they're currently uh, locking people up. We talked about this last week yeah. with um, Rusty Rose, but she, she was trans and it was such a thing. She couldn't even have me talk, like use her name or friend her or tag her on Facebook about my right. experience, even though the whole time she was behind the scenes supporting me. Right. So both of these people, one's a trans man and one's a trans woman, both of these people um, were sort of secretly trans and right. they didn't tell everybody, um, but they changed my world. Yeah. So even if you're a private trans person and, you know, a lot of them will feel their heart, like that's what my friend, my trans woman friend when she realized she was trans and she seen me struggling with it, she was like, you know, I know you're trans and you don't have to take hormones. You don't have to have surgeries right. to be trans. I know that I did, but you don't have to. And right. she was really the one that kind of gave me that permission. And I think that that's vital that we give people permission to number one, be themselves, number two, to express their gender variance, however they see fit. Right. We can't, we can't decide for somebody else, whether they need to come out of the closet, right. 
whether they need to transition, whether they need to ask for pronouns all the time, or however they might express, we, we can't make those decisions for people. Right. And even as trans people, we would like to. <laughs> We would like, we would like to be like, you need to be out of the closet with me. Right. But not, and there are times that I've felt that way. Totally right. get it. Right. I think, I mean, usually when, when I think of people who keep it so private, their, maybe their work is, is more one-on-one, -on -one. you know, their work might, be, it doesn't make their path any less sacred. Their path is just as impactful but it might be more one-on-one. -on -one. Like you said, this person came up to you once they felt the safety and the, you know, in the sense that, okay, I, this person I can tell and look at what ended up happening. That person ended up talking to you and then gave you this stepping stone to go even further. So they didn't have to come out. You know, I mean, I, I sometimes I've told my wife, I said, I'd like to just pick up and leave sometimes and just start somewhere new and delete all my social media and just be a guy and just live and, you know, go bowling on Thursdays and, you know, water my lawn. But, you know, I mean, sometimes you want to do that, but then sometimes, you know, with me, I just, I know I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd go crazy. I'm too much of an, I'm too much of a person who's out there and. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be able to do it. So it's like, I got to kind of take the consequences that come with it because I label myself as a trans man and that's what I'm always going to be, a trans man. So I won't have the opportunity to just be a guy mowing my lawn, you know? And and you know what though? The world needs you just the way you are. <laughs> and, and that's like one of my big messages to everybody mm -hmm. is that the world needs you just the way just you are. Just the way just you are. How, whatever is calling to you right now, and that could change tomorrow and that's fine too. <laughs> right, right. Because a lot of shit has changed. I'm 46 years old. A lot of shit has changed <laughs> right. since I was 20. You know, even you know, even five years, life changes. Yeah. And I think that's another thing that trans people can remember is that shit changes. This shit passes, and it gets better. It really does yeah. get better. Like I know that movement, it gets better. I thought that was a really important movement because. It really does get better um, over time. You know, when you first come out, it can get really messy. It can be really complicated, especially when your family's involved and everything else. And um, you can you can do a number on yourself. Yeah. So yeah. I want to invite people to remember to be careful of the self-talk that's going on in here, because that's the loudest voice you hear. True. And. True. uh so unfortunately, um, if that voice is telling you that you're not special, that you are just, that you're crazy because you're trans, um, or that you're dirty, you're a pervert, um, or any of those things, right. uh, I can, I mean, I know there's a hundred different stories that trans people tell themselves. I just want to say that none of those things are real. Right. That's just the internalized shame of being gender variant coming out in your personal language. Right. That's all it is. That's all it is. So I, I always say there's a, whether you believe in natural selection or you believe in God, there are no mistakes when it comes to this. If you believe in natural selection, you're evolving. 
you're just another evolved human being. If you believe in God and God don't make mistakes. So we can go on a spiritual aspect. God doesn't make any mistakes. He made you exactly the way you are. Exactly the way you are. Why? And if, if we're going to go on that point, God lets you, makes you go through your life for a reason. You go through that reason. So that way, in turn, later on down the line, it's that paying it forward, that helping that other person who's going through the same thing. And if it's natural selection, which I believe I'm just evolved. <laughs> I'm the next evolved man. So... And that's important too. Exactly. Um, you know, there's a type of astrology called evolutionary astrology. You might want to look it up, bro, because okay. you might really like it. Um, evolutionary astrology believes that through astrology, uh, that people will change, um, that people will actually that, and it is true that people are are rapidly. First of all, people live till they're you know, a hundred years old or close to a hundred, right into their eighties and nineties. So there you go, right there, there's a huge shift in humanity. And through that, because they'll live through their Saturn returns three times, probably two, wow. three times, um, that they'll be changed because yeah. the planets will have influenced them for a longer period of time. Um, they may even experience a Uranus returns. And so then what ends up happening there is that people are, uh, evolving and they're saying we're evolving faster and faster and faster um as time goes on and i kind of agree with them i actually really uh i really love evolutionary astrology and i love the evolutionary perspective of things because in my opinion that's really what's going on here we're in a we're in a gender revolution and all of us the whole world whether they like it or not yeah. we are evolving past binary Right. And it's important that we do because yeah. there's certain things that come with the binary that none of us want. Right. Right. Like sexual assault. And it's already been proven. You can go look it up. Um, they've The scientists have already proven that the number one drive for sexual assault is the binary is because mm. men think men are trained in their heads because number one, the, the top perpetrator are men. Right. Okay. And then what happens is that men believe in their minds that they are, um, that they deserve the yeah, sexual entitlement. Entit there's a sense of entitlement for the sexuality. And then um, most of the time, the victim are women. Now that's not all the time, but that's, that is a very large chunk of yeah. sexual, uh, sexual assault. And so if we could get rid of the binary, there's one of the things that we could have less of. Right. I think we could all agree that that would be great if that went away. And I really do believe in an evolutionary perspective that someday the binary will be invalid, yeah. not part of our reality. Um, and I think we're all changing the world, every single one of us. And this I is mean, an evolutionary Imagine problem. a world without toxic masculinity. Imagine a world without the need for feminism because of the fact of, you know what I mean? Imagine a, a beautiful world where we wouldn't have to have any of that, you know? And those are also things that are, and what, I mean, I'm, I'm, don't get me wrong. I'm a feminist. I am, you know, and me it's too, there yeah. for a reason because of toxic masculinity, but it wouldn't be there if there wasn't any toxic masculinity. So it's this, you know, it's that, that's the, the effect of that cause, you know, everything comes with a cause and effect. And, you know, it would be nice to see where we live in a world where we don't need it. 
where we don't have to fight for equality or we don't have to fight for these things. What a beautiful world it would be. And I think that's what evolution is about. You know, it's it's about us becoming better, you know, and removing those things because they, they have no place in the universe. They don't have any place there. So totally agree. And some some people are like, oh, I have to have my gender identity. Like they don't have any problem with me being a they, but at the same time, they really identify with being a woman or a man. Um and I'm not saying just because I take away the binary doesn't mean that you lose your identity. Why can't right. you just be you? Right. Right. Whatever that looks like. And yeah. if part of your identity is to be a woman, well then okay. Yeah. Um but I think eventually that stuff will fade away. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because we're, you know, at some point we're just we're going to be like okay, it doesn't matter what you look like, procreate, have, you know, that's, that's what it's going to end up being. I mean, look at how beautiful when you see a trans man who is pregnant, that's probably one of the most beautiful things you could see. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think that's amazing. Like, I don't yeah, know if you've know seen the pictures, but when you see that and, and it's, why does it have to go with the, with the binary? Why can't it just be, I'm giving life. I'm giving life. I know a trans man that's a father that gave birth. He came yeah. off a T. He came off a T, got pregnant, and now he's still uh, a father. And his child's yeah. about, uh, I think his child's about three or four. And the child absolutely loves the, <laughs> the dance. dance the <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and one of the reasons that he loves to read that to his child is because his child can see that gender doesn't doesn't show up everywhere it is the one genderless place that he can like show again and again and that's what he's that's what he told me you know and i think i think that gender i think that gender will dissipate because there's so many people doing that exactly what i just described with their children Mm -hmm. and that's beautiful in my opinion when children are not put in a shell as little ones you know we don't need to tell little boys that they can't wear dresses or yeah we don't need to tell little girls how to be a little girl like just let them be and they Um, will figure it out all on their own (laughs) what they want to play with what they want to do i used to be a big like my boys wanted dolls and i would say and people would look at me funny i said why is it we could give dolls to little girls and say be good mommies but you can't give dolls to little boys and say, be good daddies. Right. Like, why? what is the big deal? And why can't you just say parent? Why do we have to be stuck on that? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm called mom. I am male and I want to be called mom. I don't want to be called dad. I don't like the word dad. But, you know, now to my little one, I'm pops. But to my other, I'm mom. And I like, I like that whole confusion in people's faces when they see. I live for it, you know, because it just screws them up. Yeah. And in in my opinion, um, here's my favorite thing to do is to refer to someone's child as they. I say that a child under five is too young to know if they're a boy or a girl. And um, if they're not given any other option, how would they know? And um, so I will often refer to people's children as they. Right. Especially if their child 
does, if their child's older than five and expresses outside the binary and has never been presented with that choice, I will also refer to they. Now, I do know a young trans boy um, who was born and assigned a, a girl when he was born, but then he, at five years old, told his mom that he was a boy. Um, and he's a very special young boy and, uh, his mom, she actually has a beautiful writing about, uh, how her dream of her daughter died, but she gave birth to a son. Mm. Um, so even at, you know, five years old, she had this experience. This child was only five when they came out and what a powerful experience. Right. And it's such an honor to know both of them. And right. such an honor to witness their experience because I've witnessed this little boy grow up. Right. Um, yeah. And now I do refer to him as he because he told me that's what his pronoun is. <laughs> and he's and and I was like, okay, man. And he's like, and yours is they. And I was like, that's right. And I was like, that's because I have boy and girl in me. He's like, oh. <laughs> I'm going to have to digest that one. (laughs) Yeah, he had to digest that one. Yeah, and he's probably still digesting it. Right, right. You know, know, but I I think that children are our future, obviously. And um, as if they're raised differently, then the future is bound to be different. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. Because I I was never given the option of anything other than to be a girl. (laughs) Right, right. You know, it's so funny because you think about it and you're like, you know, if a kid says, I want to be an astronaut, okay. I want to be a ballerina, okay. Why can't it be, I want to be a girl or I want to be a boy, okay. Why can't the answer just be the same all around? You know, I I don't know why they're, you could be whatever you want, you know, (laughs) you'll figure it out. You know what, but at the same token, you'll figure it out when you're older. You're going to figure it out, you know, if if this is what you say, then this is what it is. So those little children are hearing their sacred call earlier and earlier yeah. and earlier. And I'm so amazed. I don't know their... if it's earlier. I really don't know because I was five and I knew. I, didn't so I don't know, know if it's earlier or you the fact that society is allowing them to vocalize it. It's mm. not getting shut down anymore. You know, it's like I, I always say, there isn't more violence in the world. It's the same violence. It's just you see it more now because of social mm-hmm. media, things like that. But I don't know if it's happening early or early. I think it's still happening young. It's just not getting shot down like it did when, when I, if I would have said I was a boy in fifth grade, that girl said, your daddy, I said, yes, I am, you know? And when I got home, you know, my mom, she was all upset and you're, you're not daddy. You're not daddy. Well, yeah, I am. No, you're not. Oh then I guess I'm not. It just got shot down and shot down. Mm-hmm. So I think that and that's part of the evolutionary process. Mm-hmm. We're looking at our kids now. We're hearing our kids now. We're listening. We're not shutting them down. And if they say, what if I want to be a boy? What if you do? Okay. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't even know. I didn't even, I guess I didn't comprehend that I wanted to be a boy. Mm-hmm. I just, played the boy when we role played right. with my just friends slid I, right into that <laughs> I was just the dad just and uh, and that was okay and I had a lot of little boyfriends that wanted to be a girl and I didn't think that was odd at all right um, See? 
but apparently it was because I had a resonance that was calling those kinds of people towards me. And I've always had that resonance my whole life. And I believe that that's part of my sacred calling is to be around to call forward gender variant people and to honor their sacredness. Because that's the other thing that I ran into. One of the first terms I ran into um, about being sacred and being gender variant was two spirit. Yeah. Um, and it, and then at first I had the idea of when you hear two spirit, you're like, oh, they mean like a trans person, but they right. actually don't. They actually, it's the entire rainbow. Yes. It's the GLBTQIA plus community. Everybody. It's everybody. More people should get on board with that. (laughs) We're all under the rainbow. All of us. Two spirits means you are carrying both in your body. You're carrying both genders. There is no, there's not, you know, once again, effeminate men. They are two spirit. They, They carry a more feminine aspect in themselves, you know. Yeah, and I think that I think that two spirit just was the word that they that made sense yeah. to them, and I actually yeah. think it's like some sort of loose interpretation of many yes. uh, tribal languages. Yes, and of course now there's like two spirit society and mm-hmm. two spirit international and all kinds of beautiful things like that. But the interesting thing is, is what I wonder about our evolution going forward is will it look like? where we came from i'm hoping because before christianity before that happened um the tribes we celebrated gender variant people yes yes so two spirit and in taino did they have any evidence of that they have what we call um the behikas and the semis uh some of i had sent you a picture it's supposed to have both genders um, these were here. the sacred people. Now, a lot of people, now, if you look, there's the little penis and right underneath people will think it's a scrotum. No, that's a vagina. Okay. So, so because it's, it's intersex. Split. Yes. It's yes, basically, which is just a representation of both genders within um, and, and understand it's a medicine person. They are the sacred people. So this wouldn't have been looked upon as anything like there was no need for a word for it because they just were they just existed so and they were sacred so instead of saying oh they had both genders then no that's the sacred people right there they're the ones who are the bridge between men and women they are the ones who are the bridge between old and young they are the ones who they were the bridge to everything they would care for the children they would teach they would they were the ones who cured people cured marriages cured sickness they did everything and there were two types there was the ones that were the tribal leaders and then the ones who were the journeyers and the journeyers were the ones who would actually take people they who were lost their souls were lost after they passed and take them across while you're still alive you're crossing them over oh okay so that's what a high standard these people were And they weren't, like I said, there wasn't really a term of two-spirit or anything like that. They were just the sacred people. And they were the ones who were the leaders, the medicine people, the the Bahikias. So so I think it will be nice when we can get back to a time where it's not about boy or girl. We're just the sacred people. 
because that's what we are in the beginning and that's what we're going to be in the end. Mm -hmm. There's some people, there's a a theory I um, came across is that some humans, um, even before the ancient people that we're talking about, even before, like back when, like, like if you believe that there were humans, like that built the, before the pyramids, um, now, of course, we've had a, we had an Egyptian show where we talked about the Egyptian. They didn't see gender the same way. Gender was very fluid for them. Um, it was just kind of like, what? Yeah. Um, and so gender variant person was just a gender variant. It wasn't they didn't ha- they had words for it, but they didn't. It wasn't a big deal. Um, it was just sort of fluid. But even before that, there was an ancient peoples that went extinct and some some people say that they crashed in atlantis so if you hear about the underworld uh the underwater world thing and that those people were actually more of an alien type of human that were both that all of the humans were intersex um in a way um and that there was a great separation uh in order for these people to have an identity and um in order for them to sort of grow an ego Mm -hmm. in order for certain things to happen in the evolutionary um in the evolutionary i guess cycle or path um and that these people um that these people were were essentially intersex and and that's that comes to now is like there are intersex people alive today i'm just gonna say that there are intersex people alive today in fact if you go to the rainbow soul uh facebook page you will find a post that i posted a couple of days ago from uh mr anna susie um, and they are an intersex person and they fight for intersex rights all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just want to say that, that when it still everywhere in the world, which this is completely ridiculous to me, everywhere in the world, when an intersex person is born, they mutilate them mm-hmm. upon birth. Yep. And that is horrible. You're literally it, taking away physically their their sacredness you don't have that right you don't have the right to take anything away from them once again let that be their choice let it be their choice or their not even their choice let it be their option right whether they want to or not what if they don't what if they want to stay that stay that way leave them alone you know i i can never understand that what gives a person the right to decide somebody else's well, you and know. in a lot of instances, you can join intersex groups and get to know the intersex community pretty easily. Mm-hmm. They're pretty open book. And a lot of those instances where the parents decide on one gender, the person is usually the other one. Mm. <laughs> or yeah. they want to honor their intersex identity. And right. either way, <laughs> um, and some of them don't even know they're intersex until something happens at puberty. Like right. they suddenly um bleed or something weird happens to their genitalia i have an intersex friend that had a penis that started to grow breasts in puberty and then they found out that they were intersex and their mom had a lot of explaining to do (laughs) um and then they uh got pretty mad at her and didn't didn't um wasn't able to stay present with her but 
moved on in their life. And when I knew them, they were in their early 20s and they were actually cooking in Hers at Hershey. Wow. Um, and they came and stayed at my house for a few days. And I was privileged enough to cook with them and to get to know them. And mm -hmm. they said that they really wanted to identify with their intersex identity and that they felt that, that, that they were born that way for a reason. Right. Um, and that that's who they were. And so they actually had corrective surgery on their penis oh, um, wow. to bring back to almost the way it was, which wow. was actually hard to find. So I'm just saying that intersex people are special <clears throat> people and we need to honor them too. They're, they're yeah. sacred. They're, sa they're as sacred as you and I. Exactly. And maybe that's maybe that's why the trans and non-binary community is here. Maybe we're here to open those doors to help slam those doors open for intersex people. Yeah. Yeah. That has been a question of mine a lot. Like because we can. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Because we can. Oh, absolutely. We can because they their rights have been snatched away upon birth. They don't right. they don't have any rights from the beginning. Yeah. And that's sad. Um, so intersex people just want to honor them right here mm. in this moment. Because I think like that image that we looked at, that this image with Cross, yeah. I'm wondering if intersex people were being born and maybe even more of them were born back then. Like, how would we ever know? Right, right. Because there was no documentation. This is This is it you know, what you see there, or you'll see petroglyphs about the, the, um, the, the medicine people, you know, so it's right. All of a lot of our stuff was lost, man. I mean, it sucks, but, but the beauty is, is history, you know, whether it's bad or, you know, sometimes it repeats itself, it's bad, but hopefully this time it's repeating itself and it's good. We're heading right back full circle to to this to, to where we belong and it's our and and i call it our birthright it's our birthright being born the way we are it is our right to be treated with respect and honored because we can bridge we have that gift i don't know a trans person who is incapable of bridging there is a bridge that they can do you know, and I think you're born with that. You know, that's something that the Taino teach. You're either born with it or you're not. Not everybody actually has that gift of bridging and you have mm -hmm. to be born with that. And I believe that people who fall under the trans, you know, spectrum are people who were born with that bridge. Yeah. And sometimes they just build that bridge for one or two people. Right. And sometimes and they bridge that people, that bridge for, for thousands, thousands, you know, RuPaul, right? you know, but we're bridge builders, you know, and I think that's, the, you know, and that's why people end up getting called. And that's why I also think that in the same token, the suicide rate is so high, you know, when they can't be the bridge, when they're not allowed to be the bridge, what they were called to do. When, you know, you're not just stifling them emotionally, you're stifling them spiritually, you know. Yeah, I think you're taking that away. And that's right. kind of what happens is that you take away their sacredness. And right. that's why I wrote that book. That's why I wrote this book. Right. Because in my opinion, most of the transgender people that were killing themselves 
felt a lack of sacredness. Yeah. They felt a lack of, um, or even a lack of like reason for being alive. Right. right. They didn't right. see why they should be alive. And right. to me, that's pretty, uh, that's sad because then I'm like, ah, but you are so sacred and you are changing the world just by being alive. Just exactly. by being alive, you are being sacred. And there are so many different versions and so much sacredness. And so I always remind them that it's only Christianity that's done this. Right. That most of the rest of the religion, not all, but I, that I, most of them that I've encountered um, have been pretty gender open. Right. Um, even Jewish. I know a yeah. lot of transgender Jewish people. I don't know why, <laughs> but I do. And yeah. um, and it's probably not the, you know, it's probably the more modern people, but in yeah. the end, uh, we're all- Hey, different. didn't you see Yentl? No. <laughs> With Barbara Streisand? <laughs> and in fact, one of the astrologers that we're having on um, so I want to talk about what's coming up is that next week we are going to be featuring Rue Sparks, who is an artist and an uh, author, and they are non-binary and they have some great books out like fiction and really good stuff and an amazing artist. I can't wait to show you guys. Um, and so Rue Sparks is going to be here next week. And the week after that, we are having astrology. And we were having um, Michael Barwick, who is a professional astrologer. He also happens to be queer. And he, he is really fabulous. And he is helping change the Christian community um, to nice. a more queer accepting. He, does G he is part of a GLBTQIA uh, Catholic church in oh, canada nice. in canada so um <laughs> so i thought that that was a really interesting and um so we'll be doing that and we'll be we also have some shows later on in the month about mediumship and about Samhain. so don't miss those shows i'm gonna do a quick tarot reading as we come to a close and i want to honor all of the gender variant people out there if you're watching this show and you're hearing this or you're watching it later, it doesn't matter. Um, these messages are for you. Everything that lacrosse and I said is meant for you. We're, we're here trying to help your yeah. world uh, become a little bit more open and for you to see who you are in your own sacred path, whatever that looks like to you. And it can look a lot of different ways. <laughs> so, uh, I just wanted to say that, and I'm using this deck that's called Love is Love or Pride, and it's a special deck that every single card is a collaboration of a different GLBTQIA artist. And so I'm going to lay out a little reading here. And the best thing about this is that there's gender variant people in this deck. <laughs> and... Um, the first card is about celebration. So, you know, as the summer comes to a close, this is the Ten of Cups. And oh, you can nice. see that these two people are celebrating and she's pregnant with, and pregnancy in this deck doesn't just mean like literally pregnant. It also means, it also means like new projects, 
So celebration of new projects or the birthing of new projects, especially here, that's what this is all about. It's the honoring where you've come from, honoring the celebration that we've all experienced this summer, however you've celebrated, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Um, and that's what this is to remind you of. And these two beautiful people um, <laughs> kissing and enjoying the celebration, it really is to remind you about that. And right now, <laughs> this card, which is the messenger, if there mm. was something you heard tonight that really spoke to your heart and your soul, take it with you because there were messages here tonight. And also the role of being the messenger lacrosse for you and I and anyone else out there. I think it was Jojo um, mm. is like a committee. He's doing the LGBTQ community committee. And that's also really important that you know that whatever role you're playing i the other night i was hanging out with a teacher that's the head of the glbt um, community in his school so i just mm. want to say as the messenger pay attention to your messages and know that they are important <laughs> take them forward make sure you present them to look at this beautiful crowd listening mm. and supporting because your messages are important I assure you, they are vital to the gender revolution. We need thousands of people speaking about this stuff. And this is about the future. This is about a warning about hmm. black and white, seeing things black and white, and also seeing two sides of a person or seeing two sides of a situation. Um, that's what this is about. It's also about like your belief system, especially if you're kind of going back and forth and you see the moon there above their heads. The moon is meant to symbolize the cycles that we go through and to honor our own cycles, however that might look. And this, this beautiful two headed being hmm. um, is meant to be sacred as well. Cause this is a sacred um, symbol, I believe from the Renaissance era. Um, it, it resembles that anyway. And that's what it always reminds me of. And it's meant to it's meant to remind us of our shadow and our light because we are entering into the darkest time of the year. If you live in the United States, if you live in the northern hemisphere, uh, this is the darkest time of the year. So we are going to be coming in contact with our own shadows. Pay attention to your shadow. Listen to your shadow. See what your shadow has to teach you. And that's kind of what this is all about is paying attention to both sides of ourselves. Don't dismiss a fully part a uh, shadowy side of yourself that's what that's all about so the first card is about celebrating where we came from and celebrating all of our new projects and stuff like that that your message is very very important and to keep presenting it bringing it forth until someone listens and even beyond that keep bringing it forward and also this card is reminding you that we all have two sides and that, you know, if you have a shadow side, it's okay. And, you know, to honor your shadow as well as your light and to try to see the whole part of the situation. So that's what also that's about. So my friends, I want to thank you, Lacrosse. Thank you, Lacrosse. Oh, thank you again. This is so much fun. I love talking about sacred uh, gender with you. And I want to thank all of our audience, everyone that's downloading this, watching it, listening to it however you come through. Thank you very much for watching Rainbow Soul. And we appreciate you. Just know Absolutely. that. And you are important. And so is your message. Bring it forward. Good night, my friends. Good night. Jack of all trades, 
master of none, but oftentimes better than a master of one. So what exactly does that mean? It is a figure of speech in reference to a person who has dabbled in many things rather than gaining expertise by only focusing on one. So much knowledge and wisdom out there at our fingertips, yet so difficult to grasp. Everything and everyone has a little piece of the truth, and it is up to us to determine what our truth is. In this busy world, creating the time, the space to nourish our bodies, mind, and soul has become a difficult task. So let's take a moment to learn something, something small, in whatever way the universe decides to reveal it. It could be someone's story, a quote, a spiritual practice, maybe a song or a movie. The opportunities are limitless and all around us if we just take a moment to see. We are all students of life experiences, so let us learn from one another. There is no right or wrong path. There is only your path and your journey. So let's begin our adventure and explore all the world has to offer and let us become a master of none. Thank you for watching Rainbow Soul, a queer perspective on spirituality beyond religion. We appreciate you sharing the show on your timeline, follow us on social media of your choice, and join our Facebook group, Rainbow Soul. We want to hear from you. Share your topic ideas for Hollis and Lacrosse. Explore upcoming shows and interesting guests. The Rainbow Soul Facebook group, where we build community of questioning seekers. Rainbow Soul, where spirituality is our medicine.